Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick up with the 32nd verse, which has wonderfully been set up. This text has been set up with uh, uh, music and hymns that we have sung this morning. While you're turning to that, in order to answer this uh, one time, uh, thank you uh, who have prayed for my mother, my mother who is 91 and lives with us, uh, broke her leg this week, and uh, she is uh, still in the hospital and uh, will probably be moved to rehab sometime this week. Uh, her progress is slow, but we're seeing a little bit of progress. So thank you for uh, praying for her. Um, she appreciates that very much as well. In Mark uh, chapter 14, there is a, a new book by Michael Horton and it is called Christless Christianity. Christless Christianity. Now, in it he argues that many evangelical churches are blind to the gospel teaching of the really crucial question. He says the crucial question is not what would Jesus do but what is it that Christ has done? Now, it's not that the Bible doesn't teach us how to live. It certainly does. It's not that we should not follow his example. Certainly, we must. But if we stop there with what would Jesus do, then it's just a moralism. And that's not really the message of the Scripture, the message of what Jesus did in the finished work on the cross. As you see, we're back in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we are, during this season of Lent, going to begin today with Gethsemane and be moving toward the cross. And I trust, as I've already studied these uh, passages, I trust that we will be reminded what Jesus went through for us so that when Easter comes this year and we celebrate the resurrection, it will be, it will be, oh, such a relief to us. And that's the right way for us to go into the resurrection. In Mark chapter 14, beginning with the 32nd verse, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, 
he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do ask that in these so few moments that we consider what Jesus was going through in Gethsemane, that we will not for a single second of those moments take it lightly, that we will sense the struggle the torture, the emotions that he was going through. We need to hear from you, from your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Gethsemane was a place that Jesus and the disciples apparently often went. It's not at all unusual for them to go there or for Jesus to pray there or perhaps even to go apart from them and pray. But the passage that we have before us is a record of just a monumental struggle that Jesus was going through. We said when uh, we were in the Gospel of Mark at the Transfiguration that that really was a turning point where Jesus began to face toward the cross. And certainly here we see him moving ever closer to that cross. But I know at least for me, in studying this passage It has been a renewal of seeing the kind of struggle that he went through in this brief period of time. We're going to look at three aspects of that struggle. You could break it down into many aspects, no doubt, but uh, uh, for the purposes today, first of all, I want us to see the struggle with his friends. Um, You can see in the outline the various 
verses there. They went to a place, verse 32, called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John, verse 33, along with him. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So he gives them instruction. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? You can put your own intonation on that. But just imagine him coming back and finding him sleeping. Could, could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit's willing, but the body is weak. And then down in verse 40. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, here, in essence, what we see is Jesus being alone in a crowd. There's others around him. But we see him already beginning to see those that he chose to be with him, and that's, of course, all 12 of them he chose to be with them from the beginning of his ministry. But then there was the three that he would often pull apart from the others and bring even closer to him. He saw those that he chose to be with him begin to peel off in terms of being there for him. It's interesting, I, this week as I was looking at this, here his, his best friends, three different times he comes to them, three times he finds them sleeping when he had warned them against falling asleep for their own good even, and it dawned on me, he's already seen what Peter was about to do to him as well, denying him three times. And he sees it with all of his friends. Not just Peter, but all of them. But do you know what the glory of this is? The glorious part of reading this and how they let him down, not once, twice, three times, and this is just in a very short period of time. You know what the glory of this is to me? These are exactly the kind of people Jesus came to die for. That, to me, is glorious. What grace. What love he has for them. And what a relief that is for me when I find myself in those situations. I'm convinced as well that this shows how lonely what Jesus was about to go through would be. It's amazing to me that he wanted the help of these three to pray with him. 
here in redemption's most crucial moments as he is heading toward the cross. And he says to these weekly humans, weekly, W-E-A-K, humans, I want you to pray. Now what's that tell us? We'll apply it in a little while. But put that on the sideburn. But in those most crucial moments, there was no one there to hold him up. Truth is, his friends didn't have the ability to go through this with him, even if they wanted to. I don't usually uh, quote uh, spirituals, but when I was looking at this part of the passage this week, I, I could not help but think. And by the way, I... I couldn't think of all of the words to this. And so I looked it up on YouTube. (laughs) And there's a bunch of people singing this song on YouTube. Not in any silly way, but in a very sincere way. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Nobody else could walk it for him. He had to walk it by himself. And that's exactly what we see here. Has there ever been anyone that in, has experienced the loneliness that he experienced in these moments? He had these struggles with his friends. But the next struggle was within himself. Verse 33. Took Peter, James, and John along with him. There's the three. Began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. (coughs) Stay here and keep watch. Verse 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Look at how this, this part of the struggle is described. Deeply distressed and troubled. That, that phrase in the original, deeply distressed, has been rendered horror struck. Imagine that. He was horror struck. Troubled. B. B. Warfield wrote in an essay about a hundred years ago called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Here's what he said about the word troubled. The primary idea of troubled is loathing aversion, perhaps not unmixed with despondency. While Jesus' self description as overwhelmed with sorrow expresses a sorrow. Perhaps we would be better to say a mental pain, a distress which hems him in on every side from which there is therefore no escape. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Another place in this passage says, he just fell to the ground. I have 
had to, on too many occasions in my ministry, been the bearer of what people have received as bad news, especially losses to death. I still remember one man where I had to tell him of a death to someone very close to him. He was carrying some books, and when I told him what had happened, he dropped the books, and he fell to his knees, and then to all fours, just from utter grief. That's what I picture here. Jesus is, has been with his disciples and told them again, watch and pray. And then he's going back to that darkness and he just falls because of what he was going through. Now, what is the struggle? The struggle was about going through that which was before him. I think we sometimes make the mistake of forgetting that he was fully human. We tend to say, well, yeah, but he was fully God too, so it it couldn't have been as bad for him. Now, we don't say that out loud, but I think somewhere in there we're thinking that. But here we see how full, how human he was as he responds to the things that he's about to go through. He grappled with things like the dread that we have when something is hanging over us. Many of you know that feeling. You have a a medical test you're, you're very worried about or something at work or something at school, any number of things like that. And it's just hanging over you and you've got that dread. Don't forget, as God, Jesus planned this from the counsels of eternity. He knew exactly what was coming. I have a friend whose mother had a very serious surgery on her heart. And uh, before the surgery, my friend's father did a lot of research on that. And you know, you know how wonderful the internet is <laughs> sometimes. Well, he did all kinds of research and he even watched a movie of the actual surgery she was going to go through because he wanted to know as much as possible about the surgery she was going to go through. Well, ironically, he had to have the same surgery sometime later. And he said, I wish I had never seen that movie. He, he couldn't get it out of his head. And he said, I wish I didn't know all of that. Well, in a sense, that's what we see Jesus going through here. I'm always thankful that I don't know what's coming next. I cannot imagine if we knew the exact day of our death what it would be like as we inched closer to it. 
and then got to within two days of our death, and then one day of our death. What would it be like? That's what we see with Jesus, but it's much more than that. Jesus came to earth knowing what he had to go through. That's why he is called, I'm convinced, a man of sorrows. We sang about that today. Acquainted with grief. But even though he knew all that, he was on the eve of it. Not just death, but torture, beatings, humiliation before men. But worse than that, bearing the wrath of his Father. You see, that was the absolute worst part. That he knew that within 24 hours, he would experience all of the pain and torture of hell that we deserve. And he would feel forsaken by the Father. That's what was overwhelming him here. I'm convinced it wasn't just that he would die. But it was the dread. When Moses saw God's glory on Mount Sinai, so terrifying was the sight that he trembled with fear. But what Moses saw was God in covenant, God's grace. But here, with Jesus, what he is seeing is the Father's hand lifted, as it were, with a sword that is going to come down on him. The only one he knew absolutely was with him when everyone else had left was going to pour out all of his wrath upon him less than 24 hours from this moment. Martin Luther said of that, no one feared death so much as this man. It's temptation. Temptation in his flesh to try to find some other way to accomplish God's will. Now, where'd this struggle come from inside of him? As I said, he's human. Where do our struggles come from? From the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's where his struggles came from. The world, his betrayers, his enemies, his friends. From the flesh. Jesus' own temptation and human struggle. And from the devil. Think how Satan was looking at this. He perhaps didn't know how all of this would unfold until it began to unfold. But think how he must have been looking at it. Ah, yes. Think of the attacks he must have thrown at Jesus in these moments when, humanly speaking, he was at his weakest. And then there was struggle with the Father. If it wasn't enough, 
that there was struggle with his friends, with himself, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. There was struggle with the Father. Now, I want to make it very clear, this is different. Because at no point is the, is the struggle with the Father rebellion against the Father. We must not interpret it that way. That's not what we see here. In verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, which is Aramaic for father. Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 39, once more he went away and prayed the same thing. I want us to understand that 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 struggle, as I said, is not one of rebellion. In fact, one one of my favorite theologians, J. Oliver Buswell, he said that he believed that when Jesus was praying, Father, will you take this cup away from me? Because of the emotional distress he was going through at that moment, Jesus was afraid he was going to die there in the garden and not make it to the cross. And that's what he was asking the Father to preserve him. Take that cup of of that distress that was going to kill him there in the garden away from him. I, I don't think that's what it was. And most commentators go the route we typically hear of. That Jesus in his anguish asked to be spared. Everything within Jesus longed to escape this terrible experience, but everything within him also longed to be obedient to the Father. That's the struggle right there. So, when the Father said, this is the way, that became the end of the struggle for Jesus. Now we see, it says, he went back and prayed the same thing again. But ultimately, when the Father pronounced, this is the way, then the struggle was over. Look at verse 41 and 42 and see this struggle that is overcome. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus says to his disciples who have already let him down three times, get up, let's go. The one who betrays me is coming. Is it ever more clear that he is the captain of our salvation? Is it ever more clear that Jesus is not a victim here He goes out to meet his betrayer and his foe in battle. 
And those are not the actions of a victim. Jesus lays down his life. John 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. And then when Pilate said, Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? He told Pilate, No, you don't. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It's not a victim. He went out for us. Look at what the Father does for him. After all of these struggles, now his struggles aren't over, but after those struggles he has been through in those moments, in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, a parallel passage, it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him. That wasn't the angel doing it. The Father sent the angel and strengthened him. Alexander White, Scottish minister in the 19th century, once said that in heaven, after he had seen Christ himself, he would like first to speak to this angel. Who knows of the depths of suffering he came to witness for us? What about us from this? Well, back to what I said earlier in terms of prayer. Jesus went to the Father in prayer. He needed prayer. Now, his disciples kept falling asleep, and we tend to judge them so harshly. We say, those guys, you know, they couldn't even stay awake. How disobedient to ignore God's command and encouragement to pray it is for us. How lazy it is for us to be unwilling or too sleepy to pray. How arrogant it is for us if we don't pray when we know that Jesus Himself needed prayer. How arrogant is it for us to ignore prayer? One more lesson in this about prayer. And that is the fact that Jesus prayed that the cup would be taken from him shows us that it's not a sin to ask the Father for something he does not intend to do. Jesus knew the plan. Yet he asked the Father, said all things are possible. But here's the difference. He asked that all the while saying, but not what I want, it's what you want that matters. And his will was bowed to that of the Father. Secondly, in terms of taking with us today, we must never forget how horrible the ordeal 
of Jesus was. The loneliness, the extent of the ordeal. It goes back to Gethsemane. It goes back to his birth. And everything after that was humiliation for Jesus. The dread of Jesus. We see a glimpse of his humanity in a way that we too often skip over. He was fully man. It was not an easier thing because he was also fully God. In fact, because he was God, he understood what was coming in more depth than anyone in that day or anyone before or since could have. We must not forget that. And then finally, we need to celebrate that great victory as Jesus, strengthened by the angel sent from the Father, rose up and began to march toward the cross for us. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. How glorious you are, Lord Jesus. To go through that for us, you didn't have to. You could have escaped, but you wouldn't. You submitted your will to the Father, and the Father's love won out. We thank you for that. We rejoice in you this day. Will you drive us to worship you all the more, not just in these moments, but as we go from here, worship you with our very lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.